I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 2, verses 6 to 10. Because, though I had only planned to do two weeks on this passage, I could not bring myself to leave it without another word on verse 7, especially the words, seek for glory and honor and immortality. So it might be good to read maybe just verses 6 and 7 in order to get this context before us. Romans 2, verse 6, God will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, he will render eternal life. Now let's just shorten that verse 7 down so you can see what is arresting me. What, what verse 7 says is, to those who seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. If you seek glory in a certain way, he will give you eternal life. Now, I want to stress that this morning. And I could take a long time reviewing, but I I shouldn't do that. I just want to say by way of review from last week that the judgment according to works and the giving of eternal life in response at the judgment day to this way of seeking glory is not salvation by works, but rather a salvation by faith, According to works. That is, those who are saved by faith have different lives than if they hadn't had faith. And that different life is a testimony to the reality of their faith, which unites them to Christ, whose righteousness is the foundation of their eternal life. That was last week's message, so I don't want to go over it. The reason I want to linger here on the phrase, seek glory and honor and immortality, is threefold. Three reasons. Number one, many people think this is sub-Christian. It's selfish to seek glory. Selfish to seek honor. Selfish to seek immortality. I had a grandmother like that. And I don't know if she's in heaven or not. But she sounded noble in saying things like, you shouldn't seek your own glory, you shouldn't seek your own immortality, and you shouldn't pray because God has more important things to do than worry with your prayers. Things like that. Well, I've devoted about 30 years of my life to try to blow that out of the water. And every book I write is meant to try to explain that it is not Wrong to obey this verse. And C.S. Lewis, I want to quote again, those, one of those fateful quotes that if you've read Desiring God, you've read it. 
And here it is again from the first page of The Weight of Glory. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses, yes, in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do, contains appeal to our desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit this has come in from Kant and the Stoics and has no part in the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires Not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily Please. So that's my first reason for wanting to think about this text, because there are a lot of people who think it is sub-Christian to seek glory and honor and immortality. And this verse says nobody gets eternal life unless they seek glory and honor and immortality. This is a big issue. Second reason is that there are many people, and I fear some in this room, who aren't seeking anything spiritual. They just don't seek. They amble when they walk. They coast when they ride and they float when they swim. Amble, coast, float. That's life. And therefore you go where the current is going. How many people, when they walk, run? Let us run the race put before us. How many people, when they're in the water, swim against the current? How many people in their cars put the metal to the floor for Jesus? <clears throat> First Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight. Take hold of eternal life. Fight. Take hold. Seek glory. Seek honor. Seek immortality. Seize the hope set before you, Hebrews says. So my second reason for taking up this text (coughs) is that there are a lot of coasters in the world who aren't going to get to heaven. Because this text says eternal life is given to those who seek. Seek this morning. If you're sitting there coasting right now, just coasting in your mind, I plead with you, seek glory this morning. Do you see what this verse says? Eternal life will be given to those who seek glory and honor. And immortality. Here's my third reason. The meaning of the phrase, 
seek glory and immortality and honor needs explaining. So let's, let's do it. Let's try now to explain what this means. The main point this morning is very clear. I want to awaken in you. I want to stir you up and kindle in you a seeking after glory and honor and immortality. Teenagers, I want you to seek glory in heaven. You got passion in you. You got fire in your bones. Don't waste it on pointless things. This text says, seek glory. Go for gold. Don opened the door for me this morning because I have more gray hair, he said, than he does. And I said to him, yes, and I can't figure out why people color their hair. Because we as a culture have an unbelievable fascination with youth who are not admirable. Why would anybody want to look young? Tell me. Tell me. You got an answer for that one? Why would anybody want to look young? The whole Bible says wisdom comes with years. Folly is in the heart of a child. Why would anybody want to look like he hasn't grown up yet? Or that you're not ripening for heaven. I don't plan to get a facelift. Even though when I do this, it looks 10 years younger. These wrinkles, this hair, this thinning right here that sort of shines back now, like didn't used to. Glory! Now that's a parenthesis. And how did I get there? Oh yes. I was appealing to teenagers. Who now I have totally alienated. Which is alright. Because they're tough. Seek glory. Pray for early gray hair. And more. That's the main point this morning. To waken in you a desire. Now I know some of you are sitting there and and you're saying, look, I don't have that kind of a personality to run and swim and put the pedal to the metal. This is not a personality issue. This is a spiritual issue. And if you don't have a passion for glory, pray for it. Were you fascinated this week about impeachment hearings? Then simply pray that God would take that kind of fascination and transpose it onto the fascination with the glory of God. Are you eager to have kids home for Christmas like I am? Then take that eagerness that's growing day by day. Abraham, Thursday. Benjamin, Monday. Kirsten, the 24th. Take that eagerness and transpose it up into God. And be eager for God. If you can feel eagerness for anything, you can feel eagerness for God. If God will bless you with a spiritual quickening. 
Do you watch the stock market here at the end of the year and hope to know when to get out and get in? Then take that hope for that money and transpose it into God. I don't think it's a personality thing. But what does it mean? What does it mean to seek glory and honor and immortality like it says in verse 7? I want to try to get at this with three E's, three E's. And I'm choosing these three E's because it's a way of showing that I think the main thing is to seek glory and honor and immortality are simply aspects of glory. Now, let me explain. The first E is excellence. I'm going to equate glory with divine excellence. Divine excellence. Now, the second E, which corresponds to honor is echo. My understanding of the honor that we are to seek is the echo in God to our glory. And we'll come back to that. I don't want to have to stand before God and have him say, yuck, the rest of eternity. Do you? Some relationship, right? Yuck, you're dirty. Yuck, you're ugly. Yuck, you're bad. Yuck, you're a failure. I don't want that. But that, that would not make a relationship. Something's got to happen to me. God's got to do something to me so that when God looks upon me, honor comes to me. That's the echo out of God's heart. The third E which corresponds to immortality, is extension. All I want is for this to never stop. Never stop. I want it to extend forever and ever and ever and ever with no diminishing, no fading, no corrupting, no dying. And that's immortality. So there's an excellence here that we're to seek. And then an echo of that excellence in the saints and the angels and God himself. And then an extension of that excellence forever and ever and ever. I think that's what we're after here. That's what I'm after anyway. I want that. I want that more than I want to live through this sermon. I want that more than I want my boys to come home for Christmas. Or even for them to live for that matter. This is the most important thing in the world. Now, before we take up excellence, which is the main thing, I want to say a word about this echo, because this is troubling. Are we indeed to seek the honor of God for us? I mean... I'm a sinner. I am dirty. I am a failure. I am ugly in myself. And thought the very thought that I'm going to be honored by God someday. <laughs> That's why it's a seeking. I think we are. We are. Now, I'll give you two verses where I get my interpretation of this honor. The first one is Romans 2. It's at the end of the chapter. You can drop your eyes down to see it. Verse 29. 
It says, he is a Jew. He's talking about now, is, can Gentiles be spiritual Jews? Can they be part of the covenant people? And he's trying to explain that being a Jew is really not an outward thing like circumcision. It's an inward thing. We'll, we'll get to that in a few weeks. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And here comes the phrase. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Wow. Who's going to be praising whom in heaven? I thought, I thought we're going to be praising God in heaven. And now he says that those who have inwardly been circumcised of heart, united to Christ, justified by faith, are going to get their praise from God. That, folks, is unfathomable and glorious. He says it again. This isn't an isolated verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. I'll read it to you. Paul says, at the judgment, God will, quote, bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts and then each man's praise will come to him from God. So, I interpret the words, seek honor, seek honor, seek honor, to mean do whatever you've got to do to get that praise from God. Which raises huge questions, right? Is that idolatry for God? Is God worshiping me? Have I now become the center of the universe? Is there some virtue independent in me, rising up autonomously, that God recognizes and says, Wow, where did that come from? I better like that. Or is that which God honors and praises in me the very glory that he has given to me? Now, to answer that question, I want to take up the first E, namely excellence, and ask, what does it mean to seek glory? This is, the main, this is the main thing this morning. What does it mean to seek glory, to seek the excellence to which then God will respond with praise and which will last forever and ever? So there's an excellence in him, an excellence in me, a praise to him and a praise to me forever and ever. What's that excellence? And how do you seek it? Well, I suppose we should ask this question when it says, He's going to give eternal life to those who seek glory. Whose glory? It doesn't say. Whose glory are we to seek? And if we say, well, God's glory, then the question is, is it a seeking to see it? Or seeking to share in it. And if we say it's a seeking to see it and to share in it, 
then how do we keep this sharing in it to be different from Genesis 3, 5, Satan's idea of how to share in it? Remember that? Satan had an idea how to share in it and commended it. And the whole universe fell into futility and sin because they tried to share in it. I'll, re- I'll read you that verse. It goes like this. Satan says to Eve, God knows that in the day you eat from the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. So do it. And if Satan were in this room today, which he is probably, he would whisper into the ears of some of you Eves and Adams, See, it was okay all along. John says so. Seek glory. Seek honor. It's what I said in Genesis 3, 5. You be like God. Eve didn't make a mistake. Join me. The Bible says so. This preacher says so. That's the word of Satan in this room right now. So these are big issues, aren't they? How to think right about sharing in the glory of God is a big issue. If you think wrongly about it, you perish. If you think rightly about it and then do it, you live forever. Satan wants you to do the one. God wants you to do the other. And we'll see now which one will triumph in your life. So here's Paul's answer, as I understand it, to whose glory we're seeking. I think Paul means, when he says seek glory, seek God's glory. Seek to see it. And seek to savor it, and seek to delight in it, and seek to know it, seek to praise it, and worship it, and be satisfied in it. And I base that answer upon chapter 1, verse 23, which we've been over many times, where it says that the essence of ungodliness is that they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. See what the the essence of sin is there? Same in in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God or lack the glory of God. They they have taken the glory of God, they looked at it and said, hmm, that's pretty good. And then they choose something else. Some image, some power, some money, some sex, some pleasure, some innocent thing that destroys the best. And I think when he says seek for glory, he means reverse Romans 1.23. Reverse Romans 1.23. Don't do that. Don't trade it off. Don't exchange it. I base it also on chapter 5, verse 2. In chapter 5, verse 2 of Romans, Paul says, Through him, through Christ, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. So what we exult in here on this fallen world is the hope of glory, the glory of God. 
We exult in the hope of the glory of God. We're going to see it. Someday the heavens are going to roll up like a scroll and the glory of the Lord will stand forth and the trumpet will sound and the whole earth, the Bible says, will be filled with the glory of the Lord the way the waters cover the sea. And that will be our satisfaction to see the glory of the Lord. Yes. But I also believe Paul means not only see it, but share in it. Want to share in it. Seek to share in it. Long to share in it. Now I base that on Romans 8. And I invite you to turn there with me because I want you to see this for yourself because it's so amazing. In Romans 8, we'll start reading at verse 17. If children, that is, if we are children of God, heirs also, we are heirs. If we're children of God, then we are heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. Now, what's that? Be glorified with him. That means, I think, that when we see the glory, it's going to have an effect on us so that it shapes us and transforms us and makes us. It says in Matthew 13, I forget the verse in the parable of the wheat. He will gather us into barns and we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Now, if we walked outside right now and looked up right about there, I suppose, where the sun is, we wouldn't probably be able to look at it without damaging our eyes. That's the way you're going to look. You. You're going to look like that. You shine like the sun in the glory of your Father. But now keep reading and you'll see how this works out in in Romans 8. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now there you might think, oh, we're still talking about the glory of God though. Something you are revealed and you see it and you love it and you exult in it. Yes, but keep reading. Verse 19, For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also may be set free from its slavery to corruption into, now get this phrase, into the freedom of the glory of the children of of God. That's the literal translation. The glory of the children of God. Do you realize that the whole creation is subjected to futility and misery right now and is aching and yearning and heaving like a mother in childbirth waiting to bring forth what? 
the glory of the children of God. So, I conclude that the seeking of glory is the seeking of God's glory, to see it and savor it, and the seeking of our glorification. Our glory shaped by it, molded by it. Let me, let me put it like this. The key question here to me, to keep us separated from Satan's error, is how do you describe my being glorified in such a way that I am not God, nor have any claims upon deity, and yet share in the very glory of God Himself? And here's the way I would put it. To be glorified is to share in the glory of God and yet not be God in this way. To be fitted or prepared, to be fitted, shaped, made in mind and spirit and body so as to know the glory of God, enjoy the glory of God, and display the glory of God with the very energy of God. Now the point of that description of seeking God's glory is that it preserves the God-centeredness of glorification. When all is said and done in heaven and all the saints are glorified, those whom he justified, he glorified. When we are glorified with the glory of God, what that will mean is this. Everything will have been done to our minds. Everything will have been done to our spirits. Everything will have been done to these broken, aching, sick, and dying bodies, which has to be done so that we may fully know His glory, enjoy His glory, and display His glory with the energy of God Himself. That's what will be our glorification. And so, our glory will be to know His glory. And our glory will be to enjoy His glory. And our glory will be to display His glory. And so, He remains God and we remain happy and happier day after day. So, let me close with this Practical question. Okay, how do we seek it? And I just have two instructions for you. Number one, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ because nobody gets eternal life apart from faith in Christ's finished and all-sufficient work on the cross, displayed to us in the gospel. And so look to Christ in the gospel and cast yourself on Him for mercy, and you will be clothed with His righteousness.
You will be forgiven for your sins. Your guilt will be taken away. Condemnation will be removed. Punishment will be absorbed in the cross. And you will have now the foretaste of glory and will have peace out of which will grow a new life so that judgment accords with deeds. Look to Christ. There's a verse here that's so important. Put 2 Corinthians 4.4 together with 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that in the gospel we see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So behold Christ in the gospel and you will behold the glory of God. And if you do that, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. Did you know that your glorification begins now? From one degree of glory to the next, if you want to know how to seek the glory of God, how to seek to see it and how to seek to have it, look to Christ. Behold the glory of Christ in the gospel. Fix your attention on Christ. If your life is not what you want it to be right now, get in the Bible and behold the glory of God. Or take a walk today while the sun is shining and it's... 45 degrees in Minnesota in December, and behold, the heavens are telling the glory of God. And my last instruction to you, my second and last, is don't miss the value of your suffering. Parents in pain, don't miss it. Kids in pain, don't miss it. Old people, In pain, don't miss it. Because, I'll give you two verses and I'm done. In 2 Corinthians, just a little bit later, chapter 4, verses 17, 18, it says, We do not lose heart, for though our outer nature is wasting away. There's some people in this church right now that I'm just agonizing with because of how they're Their bodies are wasting away. They're too young to waste away. It's never easy to waste away. Not when you're old and not when you're young. And the Bible says our outer nature is wasting away. But our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is working for us an eternal weight of what? Tell me. I love it. It's working for an eternal weight of glory because we look not to the things that are seen, that we're losing. We're losing our eyes, we're losing our kidneys. We're losing our hearing, we're losing our joints. We're losing our memory and our minds. Everything visible is going to be lost. But we look to that which is unseen because the unseen is eternal and the seen is temporary. And so don't miss the point of your suffering in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. And the last text 
is Romans 8, 17. If we are the children of God, we are heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may be glorified with Him. Suffering is a means to glory. I don't understand all of this, but I do know that you should not nullify this right now by telling me, oh yeah, but those texts have to do with persecution. They don't. I chose these two precisely because they don't. Only. I know they don't because it talks about the wasting away of our outer nature in chapter 4, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians. And I know from the context here in verse 23 that it says, We who have the Holy Spirit groan inwardly waiting for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies, which are so full of sickness and death. And therefore, what I'm holding up to you here is the function of suffering as a means of glory. So look to Jesus and embrace your suffering as God appoints it. And there will be stored up for you an ever-increasing weight of glory beyond all comparison. My main point is simple. Seek glory and honor and immortality. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, as we go now, please, please work it in teenagers. Work it in little children right now to want to see the glory of God. I pray that children this afternoon would say to their parents, Mommy, look at the glory of God when they look outside and the sun is shining bright. I pray that teenagers, when they tune in to the Vikings game and they see Randy Moss catch a spectacular touchdown pass without any joking, they would say in their hearts, God made that man's legs. And I pray for him that he would bow the knee to that God. And I pray for the rest of us Oh God, grant, I pray, that we would seek your glory and have eternal life. You stand for me, with me for the benediction. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face, his glorious face, to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance of glory upon you and change you. And give you peace. And all the people said, Amen. You're dismissed.